Hi, welcome to our podcast. You're listening to Inquiries into Mathematics. My name is Shanna Anderson. And I'm Robin Perkins. And in this episode, we're going to define queering and examine math content using a queer eye, using queer theory. So for today, we have a couple of questions that we want to try to um, not necessarily answer, but at least explore. One is what does queer to queer something really mean to us? And, and what does it mean to queer mathematics, specifically some of the, the math content? Um, we also want to see what gender stereotypes exist in math curriculum. Um, often we're told that math is asocial and we really want to explore how the gender stereotypes play out in math curriculum. And finally, I want to look at what's missing. What is what representation is lacking in the math curriculum? Uh, so I think we'll start with queer as a verb, so to queer. So Robin, uh, I'll throw it back to you. What are some things that come to mind when you think of or queering and queering as a verb? Um, so I'm going to bring back um, an article that we've referenced before, um, the Sheldon and Rand's article, Queering, Transforming, and Engendering Mathematics. Because um, I really like what they say here. And I, the reason I want to go back to it is because I spoke with um, a coworker about it today. So it says queer is a verb, elaborated to queer something, whether as a text, a story, or an identity, is to take a look at its foundations and question them. We can explore its limits, its biases, and its boundaries. We can look for places where there's elasticity or discover ways we can transform it into something new. To queer is to examine our assumptions and decide which of them we want to keep, change, discard, or play with. This becomes a practice in transcending the habit of settling for predefined categories and creating new ones. And even when we leave something unchanged, we have changed our relationship to it. So, looking at this from like a perspective of math, um, actually what just like popped into my head is like, you know, I feel like these days on social media, um, I don't know if like on regular, uh, you know, Facebook pages, they have this, but you know, I'm, I'm on a few math pages and it'll say something like, um, how would you solve this problem? And it, I don't know, like a basic problem, let's say like, I don't know, 86 plus 23. And, and you see different ways of people, um, solving the problem. And I feel like, you know, th those traditional people will say, you know, I line up the numbers, I add up the ones column, I carry the number and, you know, solve it like that. Um, but to me, I love when I see people talking about breaking apart, like the tens and the ones or using kind of like a compensation method or something. And to me, that's kind of like querying something. That's like querying mathematics where you're, you're, you're playing with the numbers, you know, you're seeing, um, what they can do and you're approaching it from different ways and you're kind of like looking at it from like outside the box and just seeing like how these numbers can come together in maybe not so much a traditional way. Yeah, I, I would have to um, agree as we look at that sentence, we can explore its limits, its biases and its boundaries. That's exactly what you're kind of describing. This idea of looking at the process versus the product, right? Like how do we do the math? How um, are we kind of grappling with these, these um, concepts rather than just what is the answer? And so uh, when we explore math's limits, we can move within it more freely. And when we know its boundaries, right, we can, we can stretch beyond the boundaries. Um, and I, that's, that goes, again, goes without saying that we're looking for the elasticity. We're discovering ways to transform it. And so, yeah, I think that's the first step, really being more process oriented. Um, you know, how, why, asking the So, you know, but beyond that too, I think queering to, to queer math is also looking at it from the humans, the people in front of us, right? Humanizing it. Um, considering who we have in front of us and the ever-changing world and adapting situations that we have. You know, from this um, Yee and Otis article that we were just looking at, part of what it talks about with mathematics for social justice is really that we're, we're looking to um, make math more accessible and, and be more real world. So again, going off of like what you had just mentioned that whether it's the text or the story, we really need to question it. We also need to make it more real world for that. Um, and so 
you know, integrating scenarios that are realistic versus the maybe a traditional or contemporary scenario like heterosexual problems or, um, you know, the nuclear family type of problems. Uh, we can we can challenge the way that math content is even uh, presented to our students. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And as far as, you know, that social justice piece with math, yeah, making sure that students do have, um, all students do have, you know, equal access. And I'm just thinking about like when I was a kid and, you know, um, we had to um, memorize our multiplication facts, which I still, and maybe like I need like to, um, to change a little bit here, but I'm still big on that, you know, kids um, memorizing their facts. But um, I think, you know, what we've done now is like looked at like the why, like why are these numbers, you know, why is um, five times 420? And um, I remember a few years ago overhearing some students and they were, I think they were working on like, I don't know, some activity, probably like a center together. And a kid didn't know, let's say like three times six. Um, and his partner said, well, do you know three times five? And the kid was like, yeah. One. And once they saw that, then he was able to help him figure out what three times six is, you know? So first that, you know, that one student had to have that knowledge of like, okay, well, let's start from what you know, and then I'll move you, I'll help you get to what you need to know. Um, and I think that that, that kind of um, gives all students, like we were saying, like all students access, equal access. You know, Joe Bowler mentioned with memorizing math facts and talked about like the, the detriment of time tests and um, what you're describing is really where she's coming from with it is that it's not necessarily the rote memorization. And, and the key word is rote. No one's saying that you shouldn't memorize your math facts. We, we, we should internalize those basic computational skills because they're really the foundations to help us grapple with larger concepts. I think you had mentioned a problem, uh, you know, something earlier about when you were assessing a student to give them the, um, you know, to give them uh, the hundreds chart so that they can use it for multiplication. And for that assessment, if we're assessing them on order of operations, yes, of course, give them the tools to uh, be able to access what you're, what you're teaching and what you're uh, assessing, you know, but we do want them to remember those facts. It's just whether we want to teach it in a rote manner or in a more like you described flexible manner. So, you know, some of the, the new, or I guess the queer ways really to kind of introduce math facts would be to break beyond those boundaries of just, you know, what's five times five, five times seven, six, five times seven, five times eight, you know, what's three times seven, three times eight, three times nine, you know, is to be more flexible within it, you know, maybe even looking at the products and organizing all of the math facts based on the product, similar products, and then asking yourself, like, what do you notice? What do you notice about all of the problems where the product is 12? You know, what do you notice about all of the problems where the product is 36? What do you notice about all of the problems where the product is, you know, 80? And then you can start to have those discussions about, okay, well, when it ends in a zero, this could be a, one of the, the factors. Um, so I think that that's, that is something that really helps to queer it is to move beyond the boundaries of rote memorization. We're still going to remember our facts, but like you said, we wanna be more flexible with it, use what we know to figure out what we don't know. Um, so yeah, queering how we even learn the basic foundations of math is super important. Uh, and starting with, like you said, moving beyond rote memorization into flexibility a little bit. Um, I really like what you said about, you know, organizing, um, organizing uh, numbers by like their product basically, or like the facts by their product. And I feel like I'm going to steal that idea and maybe, you know, use it with my teachers because teachers need to, they need to be stretched before they can stretch their students, you know? So once they learn that math, you know, um, the boundaries or the, the fact that math is borderline boundaryless or limitless, um, you know, then they can help stretch their students as well. Oh, completely. I think we talked about this a little, either it was last, last podcast or just in our own conversations about um, how many elementary school teachers, you know, they come into this from a reading and writing lens, right? They're much more literacy-based than math-based. And so helping them to, to 
kind of play around those boundaries and, and see math as limitless, I think would help to then bring that back into the classroom. Um, so yeah, you know, I hope, I hope you do use them. I've done it with addition and subtraction too, with my own children. And then also with, within the classroom when I taught, um, and I, you see, you see those aha moments, you see the students recognizing how two plus four is the same as one plus five and why, right? Where, what are we noticing about the numbers? Can we organize them in some sort of way so we can see how as one added and decreases, the other added and increases. And so they start to have these like revelations, I guess, about how math is really interconnected and the patterns within it and, and where you can really take math from just by looking at the, the problems versus just knowing that two plus four is six. Yeah, I, I, I definitely, um, I definitely agree with that. Um, so there was something that you said before, I don't even know what it was, but it triggered me, um, maybe because we were talking about like equity and access. And I, I knew that NCTM had, you know, um, they are, I, I, they're big on equity and access, but I feel like it's not something that people necessarily always talk about. So um, this is just from their website. It says creating, supporting, and sustaining a cultural a culture of access and equity requires being responsive to students' backgrounds, experiences, cultural perspectives, traditions, and knowledge when designing and implementing a mathematics program and assessing its effectiveness. And then I'm going to just skip to the end because um, this will maybe speak to more of what we're talking about. Um, the last sentence just says, addressing equity and access includes both ensuring that all students attain mathematics proficiency and increasing the number of students from all racial, ethnic, linguistic, gender, and socioeconomic groups. And I feel like that gender part, um, I feel like when people are talking about access and equity, a lot of times they're talking about um, as far as race or ethnicity or maybe ELL students, um, but that gender piece, and I'll even be a little bit more specific, that LGBTQ piece is left out of that. And um, I feel like, you know, that's something that we're looking to do when we're, when we're querying mathematics. So that brings us to, to I think, our next question then, really. We've, we've looked at what is what are we defining querying as? Well, it sounds like what we're defining querying as is disrupting, right? It sounds like we're looking at questioning, uh, seeing the limits and moving beyond them, freeing us from kind of those boundaries, and maybe even talking a little bit about assessment at another a later date, but, but looking at what we really are trying to, to have our students understand. Um, process versus product. And now, you know, kind of moving into our next question, which is really more about um, the curriculum and the idea of, of what gender stereotypes exist in mathematics currently. Um, so I think we could start with some hidden biases that we noticed as, as an educator. And I didn't even think about it till you posted this picture up of meet the family when we learn our order of operations. So if you want to talk a little bit about our meet the family and our order of operations? Yeah, so I mean, this I feel like I've seen so many times. Um, I don't think I've used it, but many teachers do as far as, you know, the steps for using, for doing long division and um, it's daddy, mother, sister, brother, rover. So daddy is divide, mom multiply, S, um, sister subtract, brother, bring down and um, R, of course, you have to have the dog in the perfect family, Rover for remainder. And um, yeah, it wasn't until, I don't even know how I came across this picture, or like what triggered me to think of this. And I was like, wow. So now let's say there's a teacher who presents this um, and there's um, a student in the class who, you know, has two moms, has two dads, you know, we're, or a single mom or a single dad. So where do they fit in? And by displaying something like this or by kind of leading your class um, with this approach, what are you doing to that student in your class and how are they feeling? I feel like kids are already so turned off from math that this might just be like that one more thing that it's like, well, now I, now I really feel left out in math class because like my teacher doesn't even know what my, my family makeup is. 
and I apologize, this is actually for long division, um, but, but yeah, this is, it's a great point that we're now looking at really that nuclear family of mom, dad, sister, brother, and the dog, you know, the family of four and the dog. And not only that, but we're looking at the heterosexual family of four, one of each gender and the dog. And this goes into maybe your brother identifies as a girl, you know, maybe your your sister identifies as a boy. And like you said, maybe you have two moms, two dads, maybe your parents are divorced. So it's not just, uh, like you said, bringing in that social justice, it's not just about, um, it's not only about the LBGTQ uh, community in this, but also, you know, even about social justice of, of having parents that are divorced um, and what the makeup of the family might be, or having four or five siblings for that matter <laughs> um, and having a larger family. So yeah, I, I can totally see how this can be off-putting to those students who do not fit the mold of dad, mom, sister, brother, and a dog. Um, yeah. What? Um, and then um, this is not you know necessarily re related to math, but just as far as you know, these stereotypes that we see um, in school. So um, in the article, Queering Mathematics, Disrupting Binary Oppositions in Math Pre-Service Teacher Education, um, I'm just gonna read a, a little part of it. It says, consider as an example, how many elementary schools across the US, USA sponsor events like daddy-daughter dances, events that are well-meaning yet marginalizing. And so I feel like, you know, this carried over from, from the classroom to the social aspects. Um, and I know, you know, my school used to do things like um, donuts with dads or muffins with moms. And they have made a shift away from that. Um, so now I think that they say like um, donuts with superheroes or something. So, you know, whoever is a superhero in your life, you can bring that person. Um, because maybe you don't have a dad. To bring maybe you don't have a mom to bring um so now you're you're kind of left out of that like i was saying you know left out of the math class as well yeah, even uh bring your you know daughter to work day now it's bring your child to work day uh, i don't even know if that exists right now with everything going on but right. used to be bring your child to work day because same thing like what are we why are we um or what are we saying when we're saying we're bringing our daughters to work is it because they don't you know, know what the workplace looks like? Um, is it, you know, what, what does that really say? What are the hidden biases within that? And then also how are we leaving other people out who maybe identify as a girl um, who, um, who, you know, are gendered as a boy? Um, there, there are a lot of different things that, like you're saying, definitely leave people out, whether it's the fact that they have two parents of the same sex or that they identify differently. Right. Um, sorry, well, go on. Oh, um, so I was just gonna say like, as far as, you know, like take your daughter to work day and like this article says, like some of these events that have occurred, um, I think started out as like people genuinely mean well, you know, like I remember like when I was very young going to um, take your daughter to work day and I was so excited. I didn't actually I didn't even go with my parents. So that's kind of interesting right there. I went with um, a friend's mother um, and obviously my friend was there too. And she, um, she was a high up, like a, a VP for craft foods. So we got to like play with food, try new jello, um, just like do a lot of things. And, and, and in my head, I always thought about like, okay, this is a way of showing girls you know, that, that they're able to do things in the workforce that, you know, they're not just, they don't have to just be a stay at home mom. But again, like you said, you know, what if there is someone who um, is a, a daughter, but identifies as, as a male and where do they fit into that equation? So I think, yeah, that making that shift to take your child to work day um, is, is moving us in the right direction. Definitely. Um, when we bring it back to that, to mathematics, um, back to the article you had mentioned, the, they talk about the masculinization of mathematics and um, a few things that they that Yi and Rubel mentioned in that article that struck me was under um, the 2.3 gender and sexuality in mathematics education, 
where they specifically mentioned that on average across the entire United States, there is no gender gap within mathematics achievement, right? So they're, they're saying that boys and girls perform exactly the same when it comes to assessments, right? So what is the issue? Um, these findings are surprising in the face of that typically we, we see a difference in what happens when they get to college. I think we talked about this last time, what they major in. We also talk about the, the difference when it comes to communities of color uh, that girls slightly outperform boys. But for the majority, even in those communities, it's a slight um, outperformance. And, and so what is the issue, right? Where does this come from that we see this masculinization of mathematics? And they talk a little bit about, and I don't remember if this article was another one, um, that mentions how they're grading certain students and how they look at them and their work. And it specifically was talking about how they were harder and, and more strict grading. The teachers were stricter when they were grading female papers versus when they were looking at male papers. And in this article, they talked about uh, when, they would, when they would look at their, their work that they, um, they didn't give it the same value that they did to the boys in the classroom. Um, and that they started to see that teachers generally favored the boys in the classroom by giving them more time to answer, extensive answers, attention, reinforcement, and positive feedback. Um, teachers, which often are women, have been found to rate boys uh, more proficient in mathematics, even when the girls are performing at the same. Um, so you know, not to bring in that binary again of boy, girl, but it is interesting how teachers are responding differently based on gender um, and underestimating girls' abilities when, when we see that the data is showing that there is really no gap uh, in achievement. Um, so this was on page, you know, 3.3.2, I mean, 2.3, I apologize. So then let me ask you a question. I mean, do you think that teachers are aware of this? Like, do you think they're like intentionally trying to hold girls back? No, I think that this is pretty much an, you know, definitely an implicit bias. I think that if, um, I think that if teachers became more aware of, of this, of this idea that they're potentially gradings teach uh, their female counterparts harder um, or maybe calling on the boys more or overestimating a boy's ability because they're a boy. Um, I think that they wouldn't, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't believe it. They wouldn't think that's true because it's just something underlying and that they might have to, like we've talked about, kind of face their own assumptions and their implicit biases and then recognize how they present the content. Um, I know we're not supposed to, we weren't gonna talk about pedagogy today, but I was, it, it pulled out to me as you were talking that um, when, you were, when you were just mentioning some of, some of the information that, you know, that's also part of it. Yeah, no, it definitely is. Um, and there was something that you said that really, um, oh, I know, as far as, you know, um, you know, them prepare, um, performing pretty much the same. Um, I'm just thinking about like how for girls, you know, math is seen also as um, maybe like not cool or maybe, okay, let me, let me pull, pull it in this way. Like how the media kind of shows like math is not being cool or not necessarily for girls. And I'm thinking about um, the movie Mean Girls where, um, there's a scene where um, the girl is going to join the, the math team and the teacher says, you know, I'd really love for you to join. It'd be great for you, but also so that the team can talk to a girl or meet a girl or something. And I'm like, wow. So <laughs> they're basically assuming that, and I think she, she's the only girl on the team. So I think that right there, that's sending a message like, and that, although she, you know, she is a popular girl in the movie, but just showing that message that like, maybe math is not for girls. Yeah. And then maybe they don't see their identity within it. And so they, you know, as teachers and predominantly female teachers at the elementary level um, and middle school level, 
that they project that same lack of seeing themselves within mathematics and the, the gendering of mathematics as, as a male, um, you know, and they're attributing those, those male qualities to it, uh, then maybe they're kind of bringing that into their own work. It's a really good point. Definitely. I think that that calls for, again, going back to the, trying to stick to the idea of the content. Like, I think that brings back to like what, even what the content needs to look like at the collegiate level when we, when we prep our, our, you know, future teachers, like what are our methods courses look like? How can we um, kind of queer the way that we teach our future teachers so that they can see themselves within the math. They can see themselves within the way that we uh, even understand math and, and kind of give math a new image and a new voice because we maybe make it not just about the product, but more about the process. Right. I mean, yeah, I think I, I think it was um, our last podcast that I mentioned, you know, someone who I just interviewed and she said, you know, what really made her become a quote unquote math person was one of the courses that she took in college, you know? Um, so that, just that, that teacher prep work, you know, those, the work that we do with our pre-service teachers um, can really impact who they become as teachers, um, as teachers of mathematics and, and the messages that they're sending their, their future students as well. Yeah. And I think the, the, um, that relationship being kind of emotional and sour, um, and that mathematics isn't connected to their day-to-day lives, that when, when they don't get those teachers who really bring it and make it more meaningful to them, they continue to perpetuate that idea that they, you know, that, oh, I'm not a math person or I'm not good at math. And they, they say those things that, you know, whether they believe it or, you know, whether they don't believe it or not, but they, they feel it and say it and possibly send that on to their students, just like you're kind of saying. Right, right. Um, so looking at the identity piece, right, of what of what is in mathematics. So what do we, I guess, um, I guess that'd be a great time to talk about that, that riddle that we were talking about. Um, and that would bring us to our identity. Um, the, you know, where the, the child gets into the car accident and the, brought to the hospital. Yeah, yeah, I'm so like ready to dive into that. Okay, so let's start with that and then we can kind of bring it back to the identity within mathematics. All right, so I'm just gonna read it right from the, the article um, just so I don't mess it up. Um, and this is from the Speaking Up and Speaking Out About Gender in Mathematics um, by Lori Rubel. Um, so it's a popular riddle, um, which I heard all the time when I was young, but um, so, a young boy and his father are in a car accident. The father dies at the scene. The boy is transported to the hospital, taken immediately into surgery. But the surgeon steps out of the operating room and says, I can't operate on this boy. He's my son, who is the surgeon. So, um, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you heard this before, before reading this article, right? Yes. Yeah. So, and I just remember hearing it and like, people really being puzzled, like, well, the father died. So like, how is it possible? And like, I just feel like thinking back, like the answers, you know, like he wasn't really dead and he, he was able to get to the hospital or he came back as an angel to try and save his son, you know, instead of, you know, answering what the obvious is or what one of the obvious answers is. Um, And the fact that people, you know, couldn't tell who the, the the surgeon was is kind of troubling. I don't know. Do you want to reveal who the surgeon is, or could be? Well, yeah, definitely. I think the same thing. I did. I did that too. I thought like, oh, maybe the, maybe the child's adopted, right? And then it kind of came to me like, oh wait, it's his, it's the mom, right? Like it would be the mom. And so, yeah, I I totally thought about you know this idea that this altered scenario of like you know, a days of our lives scene where the, they're back from the dead or like, you know, that they're adopted and they find out right in the operating room. Um, and then obviously realize that it, it, it's most likely the mom. But 
you made the best point when you talked about, well, why couldn't it be his other dad? Or why couldn't it, you know, why couldn't it be his other dad? And that's a really great point. Something that I think I didn't really think about until I read this article. Actually, I know I didn't think about until I read this article. Right. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, in the um, heteronormative society that we live in, the answer would be um, that it's a mother. And, you know, first, first, okay, let's take a step back and look at those gender norms. Because, um, like I said, you know, it's troubling that people wouldn't think that it could be his mother. Um, because why can't a woman be a surgeon? You know, that should be an obvious answer. Um, my goddaughter, who's 12 now, she, she wants to be a surgeon. She, you know, I've tried to teach her that, you know, she has to focus on area. She decides she wants to be a general surgeon, but like, maybe that's, you know, speaking to hopefully things changing. Like she'd wanted to be a doctor since she was three years old. Um, and no one has ever told her that she, she can't be one. And like the idea hasn't even been planted in her mind that a woman can't be a surgeon. So maybe that's some progress that we're making, you know, but, um, when I heard this problem when I was a kid, um, I don't think anyone ever would have thought that it could be another dad, um, which now that this is being introduced into that problem, I think maybe speaks to some progress, hopefully, that we're making in society. I, I completely see that. You know, I see that um, our hetero the heterosexual norms that exist within our society, um, yeah, they, they give us that idea that the other, the other parent must be a female. Um, you know, yes, after obviously having our crazy scenarios because we couldn't even imagine a surgeon as a, as a female. But once we've gotten past that, then we start to see this, the different identities that could exist. Um, and I, I do think that that shows that we're progressing as a society, that we're, you know, moving beyond maybe what would be our, uh, a conservative kind of aspect and saying, hey, you know what, there's, there's many different um, scenarios or, you know, more than one that can meet the answer to this kind of riddle. Um, and I, I think that we, if we start to question what's going on in jokes and quote unquote jokes, but in riddles and, and things that are going society, then we also have to question those same ideals that are existing in mathematics. And so I think in that article, they did mention a couple of word problems, um, you know, something as specific, specific as just um, boys and girls in a class, or it might not have been that one, it might have been the other one, um, with, um, with Yi and Otis, you know, just, um, the fifth grade class is made up of boys and girls, or, um, you know, Amy uses ribbon to, to sew her dress. So once we start to kind of challenge those heterosexual norms in our society, I think we also need to take that same lens and come to our unintentional uh, hidden bias word problems or the, the, the unintentional biases that are existing in our word problems and our mathematics. Right, and I mean, if, you know, going along with that, um, back to um, this Yi and Rubel article, it's, it's talking about how math is like, full of binaries, which I never even considered before, but it gives examples like a number is even or odd, but it's never both. Um, how something is, you know, a, a function crosses the X axis or it doesn't. Um, a rectangle, uh, something is a rectangle or it's not a rectangle. So yeah, kind of disrupting that. Um, and, and like you said, like bringing it into those word problems, making us, you know, more aware of making sure that we're not following this binary trend that's in mathematics. Those are really great points. I think those, we should probably make a list of all of the binaries that exist and see if there's ways to challenge it in mathematics. That'll be in a future podcast. But for now, I think if we look at some of these unintentional um, biases that exist in the word problems, that can help us just to kind of see what might be a way to integrate 
um, more or queer these word problems. So let's take one that was given to us and then maybe we can try to pick one up that that we had from ourselves Great. that we found. So um, if you go over to, to uh, page 88, it mentions Mrs. Herna- or Ms. Hernandez knitted a scarf for her grandson. The scarf is five sixths yard long and two ninths yard wide. How is, what is the area of the scarf? Okay, so they um, gave us this graphic organizer, this say, mean, matter graphic organizer. And the first section is, let's take that um, exactly what it says word for word. What does this text say? So it says that Mrs. Hernandez is a knitter. She knits, right? Yeah. And she also has a grandson. All right, so what does this mean? What do you think? How, um, how do you feel that, how can we read between the lines, I guess? What does this really mean? And well, maybe we generalize a little bit, sorry. No, you're fine. I mean, I think that like pre-podcast Robin would think one thing and now post-podcast Robin is thinking something else. Um, if that makes any sense. So, um, I mean, to me, it's just a, a traditional, like, I'm just thinking of like a traditional grandma who, um, is, is making a scarf for her grandson. Um, and I, I think it also, you know, is speaking to, um, those norms that of course, you know, it would be Mrs. Hernandez, um, knitting the scarf, never Mr. Hernandez, um, because, you know, what man, what man knits. And I, I think it also kind of tells us as we generalize, right, that like all grandmas knit. Like once you, once you get to a certain age, you must be knitting or crocheting or something. Um, as a side note, if you've taken, um, we, I took qualitative methods this past semester and one of because we're not in person we did uh knitting groups virtually to kind of collect data through our knitting groups and do interviews with each other and uh knitting is not easy (laughs) at all just as as a very off um off topic comment so i give grandmas and grandparents and and parents and just really people who knit a lot of credit because it would take me years to knit a scarf. <laughs> but yeah, I think that uh, exactly what you said, you know, we, we have a female knitting a scarf. She's a grandma, all grandmas knit scarves and grandpa would not be knitting a scarf. All right, so why does this matter? Why does this matter to you? Why does it matter to your students? And what are the implications of this problem? So let's just start with why does this matter? Why does it matter to you and your students? So, okay, I know, you know, um, we can't please everyone all the time, but let's say I'm in this class and um, I don't have a grandma, you know? Might make me a little sad. My grandma's never um, knit me a scarf at all, you know? so. Again, it goes back to, I think, like, who are we isolating from our class? Um, and then just, you know, just, just the idea of, of, a, of a grandson, you know, the, that gender labeling. Um, I don't know if that's really necessary. Yeah, I agree. I think that we're, we are gender labeling. We're, um, we're creating a gender stereotype based on what we see as a, a female and what they should be doing. Um, and then we're perpetuating that idea into our word problems. And yeah, it's, it seems so innocent, right? Like, I agree with you. Like, maybe pre this class and, and last year's class, me would have just read that word problem and not seen anything wrong with it. But now I'm looking at it with that queer eye and saying to myself, like, why, why does it need to be that way? Why does, 
Why do we even need that? And truly, how is that a real world problem? Like if I go back to what, um, what the article, uh, oh gosh, what is this one? It's the Bank Street article, but um, it's Yi and Otis. I think every article we have is from Yi, which, which leads us to maybe do some research on, on Christy Ray Yi. But um, they talk a lot about the curriculum and the implications of mathematics and the standardized testing and the prescribed curriculum and the curricular tracking, which we could probably do a whole podcast just on tracking and the inequities within mathematics. And this whole idea that, that mathematics is, is not free from all of this, right? And then it talks about funds of knowledge and Mal and Gonzalez and how we need to bring the real world and connect it to our students. And so if you look at this problem, how is this even real world for our students? Like, it seems so far-fetched. So not only are we continuing to perpetuate these um, gender stereotyping, we're also, we're really not even connecting to the real world, um, even though we, we, we say we are. Right. Like, I mean, the way I look at this, like, this, all this is, is a multiplying fraction problem. That's it, you know? And it can be based on anything. There's no reason that Mrs. Hernandez needs to be knitting a scarf for her grandson. Just find the area of, um, you know, a, a rectangle that's five, six yards by two, nine yards. So in my like social justice mind, I think like, why not be like cross-curricular or something and think about like an, an issue that's actually going on in the world to, to educate our students on that a little bit and then bring the math into that, you know, just talking about a scarf does not make it real world. Not at all, completely. Um... All right, let's try one more and then maybe we can get some ideas, some things that we're thinking in our own mind. Um, so do you, do you have one or do you want me to pull? I have, I, have, um, I have that farmer and gardener one. I can even just kind of talk about the two of them. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so I think I turned the page, but basically it said, there was an earlier problem in, in the text that says, the farmer, we'll read both out loud, but the farmer fills each jug with 3.7 liters of cider. Um, he places the jugs on the shelf. If you buy four jugs, how many liters of cider is that? And then the next one says, a gardener has 1.5 meters squared of her garden where she can plant flowers. She decides to plant bluebells on an area that is 0.6 or six tenths of the garden. How many total square meters can she plant bluebells? So if we notice here, we'll just start with the, um, the first part, which is what is this saying, right? Well, this is saying that farmer is a boy, it's a male and he, is working there in his store. And then you come in as the customer and you're buying the jugs. And then it's saying that a gardener is a she and she's planting flowers in her garden. And she needs to know how many pet flowers to plant. So that's kind of what these things are saying. So now let's try to read between the lines. What does this mean to us and our students? So I'll throw this to you. What does this mean to us and our students? I mean, I think that this is just kind of playing into that hidden agenda, um, playing into those, those gender stereotypes that, you know, of course it would be the woman who, um, who is, is knitting, I'm sorry, is, is gardening. Um, and I think sometimes what we overlook is like, just like we're reading in between the lines right now, that's what our students do all the time. Like they're aware of so much more, I think sometimes than we give them credit for. Um, like this, you know, kind of off topic, but, um, years ago I was teaching a class and, um, I had a bag with me and, uh, one of my students said, she said, I've been watching you. And I'm like, oh goodness, what did she, what did she see me do? Um, and she said, I want to let you know that I go to church too. And she had seen inside my bag and I was a Sunday school teacher and she saw some of my religious books. 
So I just say that to say, you know, kids are so perceptive. So when they hear that um, there's this, this female gardener or this man who is the, is the farmer, I think that that's what their expectations are. So then what happens also to the boy who's reading this problem? And maybe I'm reading too much into it, but what happens to the boy who um, likes to garden? How does he feel? Or what happens if you know there's there's a girl and she is really into animals and and kind of you know has an interest in farming? How does she feel reading these problems? Um, so that that's kind of where my mind goes with with you know the implications for our students. Um, yeah, the, we, I don't know if you were uh, you like heard one of those quotes that we put on our slides last week, but it talks about the underdeveloped kind of frontal lobe, like the underdeveloped um, brain that are, that are, many of our students have that early, you know, that children have really. And I think this could even be adults as well, but that those underdeveloped um, areas within the brain then create these uh, generalizations, right? Overgeneralization sometimes. So if, if in the story, the gardener is a female, then all females must, all gardeners must be female, right? And I don't know about all females must be gardeners, but you know, that when we hear the word gardener, we would probably draw a female. And then same thing, we farmer, we, we have a, you know, old McDonald is a male. Like there are so many parts of the word farmer that then have this male, masculine kind of connotation to it. What I find interesting too, is that they're both doing the same thing slightly, right? Like a farmer tends to the land. Yes, most likely it does have some animals on the farm, but the, a farmer doesn't really tend to the animals as, as, as much probably, you know, as, or just as much as they would tend to the earth, right? And a gardener is doing the same thing. A gardener is tending to the earth. They're planting a vegetable garden possibly, or they're planting flowers or whatever it is. So I find that interesting because they're both very similar um, in, in, in a professional sense, yet we've created this idea in our mind or, or from even just from these two, two word problems that a farmer is a male and has, and is selling, you know, is making money off of being a farmer where this woman is a gardener is a female and the gardener is just really trying to figure things out and make her garden pretty doesn't doesn't talk about selling the flowers doesn't mention any of that so yeah i i don't know if this is if this is post these classes me if pre-classes me i i might have i think i've always been a little bit of a feminist in that aspect but i do find those that part interesting that they're similar professions yet we've given the farmer a place to earn money and a gardener is really um, just kind of doing it for fun. <laughs> right, and then can you read actually that, um, that farmer problem again? Because who, or at least part of it, um, who is it that's buying from him? It just says, if you buy four jugs. Got it, okay, if you buy four jugs. For some reason I, I see, maybe this is like me gender stereotyping because I, I picture now a woman buying from him because I'm like, well, women shop, you know? So I kind of like interjected that into the problem because that was just kind of what I expected it to be. Yeah. So And that's, and you know what? It doesn't even have to, you know, it doesn't have to have that pronoun there that we've just begun to just see the shopper being a woman. You know, what, what other things have, we've been exposed to that has led us to say that you, I mean, yes, you are also picturing yourself, but you know, that, that the shopper must be female. Right. Right. Oh, and, and so the last part being, why does this matter? Did we talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Oh no, we didn't. We read between the lines. So why does this matter? What are the implications here for our students? Well, I think kind of like what I, what I was saying, you know, them, you know, buying into that stereotype. Um, and a lot of times I think what happens with our students is like what they see or what they hear is what they know or what they believe they can become. So, you know, like I was saying, like if a boy is hearing this and like repeatedly reading in word problems that, um, you know, grandma is the one that's the knitter and this woman is the one that's the gardener, um, 
you know, why I think it matters that maybe we're not being open enough for all of our kids. Um, you know, we talked before about equity and access. So like, maybe we're not showing um, that, you know, boys can be gardeners, boys can be knitters, girls can be farmers. Yeah, definitely. And I, um, you know, I, I completely agree. I think, I think you nailed it for sure there that we're not, we're not giving them the space to see themselves um, in different roles and that we're also giving them um, giving them too much to start to generalize that this is what that profession is. Um, I think this went pretty cool. I, I would love to do this more, this, the say mean matter um, for problems, because I think it does, it, it lets us to, to kind of read the words, but then read between the lines and then think about the implications for our students. Um, so I we don't have too much time left, but I'd love to kind of think of like, what are three if we can think about it quickly, I know we didn't jot this down, but what are like three things that we might do or we might think about doing? Um, we could actually just do one each, right? Let's let's just stick with one each. What are, what are two things we might do to maybe start to queer our word problems? So I started thinking about pronouns and maybe just kind of restating the profession or restating what it is, which I was noticing a lot versus putting the pronouns. But Something that I have done, and I don't know if this would be under the lens of queering, but I'd love to share it, is that um, it might be more under, um, you know, culturally responsive in a sense, is that I would have the students write down like some of their favorite um, objects or toys or things in their house. And they would, so they'd write down like some nouns and then they would write down some words that go with whatever we're doing. So it's like selling or buying or giving or some, some like, action words and we would talk about like which ones and they would write some down and then they would put down names and so then they would have their three bags I'd give them brown paper bags and their group would throw it in there and then I would be like they say the first person to go I would pick two names I would pick one object and then I would pick, pick one action and so then I would create a word problem so it, like let's say it's Robin and Shanna and it's candy and I'm selling it. So I would say, you know, Shanna um, has two bags of, you know, sweet tarts. She gives or sells one to Robin, how many is she left with? Um, and so they have to create the numbers and they have to create it, but the, it be, the story comes from them. So it becomes who they are, it uses their names, it, it's their pronouns, if they wanna be they or he or she. And then it's also varying of objects. So it, I could pick somebody else's favorite object. So I might pick up a card that says Pokemon cards and I might not like Pokemon cards, but I have to still use my name in it and there. So I'm starting to mix up and share everybody's ideas too and everybody's likes and then it kind of becomes like a fun way to do it. So I don't know if that's necessarily queering word problems. It's definitely one way that we could queer them by taking out, putting our students into it and taking out those generalizations. No, I definitely think that's queering um, word problems because one of the things when you, um, there was something that you said, I don't, did you say mixed up or you said something that reminded me of like disrupt. And I feel like that's kind of what you're doing. You're like disrupting the order of word problems because also, you know, safe word problems are, um, you know, in a book, they're nice and neat, you know, but you're creating these word problems. And um, yeah, it could end up where, um, you know, there's um, girls that are quote unquote doing boy things or boys doing quote unquote girl things. Um, and I, I think that's great. I think it shows um, students that, again, like there, there, there's kind of no limits, um, but we're all, you know, allowed to or capable to do um, all, all sorts of things. And um, when we were kind of talking about, you know, earlier, um, some word problems. I, I quickly Googled, I think I did like word problems in sports or something. And I found um, a teacher pay teacher um, resource. And I was like, 
goodness gracious, who made this? Because um, it's all sports, it's task cards, and um, the people on it are Emmett Smith, Kevin Durant, um, Michael Jordan, David Beckham, and I'm like, well, where are the women? Usain Bolt, like all, Bo Jackson, all men. Um, so I'm just kind of like really um, disappointed to see this. I know this is kind of like, not really off topic, but it's not, you know, a way to, to queer, but I guess, well, okay. One way, to queer, one way to queer word problems is to get rid of nonsense like this, or, you know, not, <laughs> even, not even like, like, I mean, this might be like an extreme, but like, not, like not support this seller. And um, I'm looking on Teacher Pay Teacher, she has um, 48,000 followers. It, it is a woman. So I also wonder what she's thinking about like gender stereotypes and like, like why are all her sports, um, why are all her athletes in these problems men? Um, and she has 362 people gave her five stars for this resource. Um, so yeah, I, I think that, you know, that's one of the things that I would do to, to queer um, mathematics, but also, you know, kind of like what we talked about before and just like, um, you know, if, if families are going to be in word problems, maybe not make it so traditional. Um, why can it be, you know, Bobby went to the store with his two dads and bought whatever, you know? Um, I would love to see problems like that. Um, I think that, you know, um, I think I spoke to this last podcast that, you know, I think that there is some training that needs to happen with our teachers before maybe, um, word problems like this are, are integrated into our curriculum, which I, I mean, I do think that they need to be, but so that they're prepared um, to, you know, to say like, yeah, people have two dads. Yes, people have two moms. Some people just have one mom and that's okay. You know, families look different and families looking different needs to be seen in our schools. It needs to be seen in our math classes. You, um, you mentioned a few things and I think, I think all of them are great. I think that, you know, even for the family that is to has two moms or has two dads, it's important for them to see themselves in these word problems. But I think it's just as important for those heterosexual families to see them in those word problems so that it becomes just a norm that, Hey, you know what? There are different marriage dynamics and we need to be accepting of those. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely think that that's one way we could we could change and adjust word problems, like you said, is to consider the family dynamic, consider the heterosexual norms that exist, um, and to not support those people. I, I, you know, we could talk about teachers pay teachers on a totally different podcast, but to not support those people who who are continuing to perpetuate these gender social norms, like the popular athletes and, and, you know, not putting in our female athletes. And um, so yeah, I, I, as much as it seemed off topic to you, I thought it was, I thought it was dead on. So thank you for sharing. Yeah, sure. And you know, and actually um, I know we're almost out of time, but it, re it reminds me of kind of going back to something that you said before about, you know, those female teachers and, and grading um, the girls a little bit harsher, you know? So that also, which is another podcast entirely, makes me think about like, you know, what are, as we as women, are, are we supporting each other? Um, and, and how can we be more supportive of each other? Yeah. yeah, and if we don't put the identities, if we, if we aren't being equitable in our way that we're um, delivering and for it, you know, and, 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 teaching our students and working with our students, right? And on top of it, our curriculum is also not allowing them to see themselves in it. Then of course, we're gonna continue to perpetuate um, the masculinization of, of mathematics. And, you know, we're gonna continue to see um, percentages not increasing at the rate they should, you know, when it comes to majors in college and, and master's degrees and PhDs and even being in professions that are more, um, that are mathematical fields. So thank you. This was awesome. Yeah. I, I um, you know, I always have a, a great time 
talking with you and you know you you kind of um listed some of the things that we are going to address today um and i think we we got to really all of them you know um, we talked about what it meant to queer something these um gender stereotypes in our, our math curriculum um i mean you know queer as, as a verb we i think we really addressed a lot today oh this was great uh, well thank you robin thank you <laughs> All right. And uh, this is Inquiries into Mathematics. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we hope you come back next episode. Bye. Bye.